it is me, Gina Marie, co-founder of Mixed in the Six. And you are tuning in to the Mixed in the Six podcast, sharing stories and building community with my fellow mixed people. We are here with Genevieve Kang, actress, holistic nutritionist, and my friend for many, many years, and also a fellow Mixie from York University. (laughs) Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so it's so good to connect because it's been a while since you and I have connected, since you've left us. You've left Toronto, moved back to your home province of BC. How is everything out there? It's good. I really like it out here. I know you may have your own biases because you're in Toronto and so many of my friends are in Toronto too. So they hate me talking about this and saying these lovely things about BC. But yeah, I, I feel honestly really fortunate and grateful that I made the move when I did, given the year that we've had. I couldn't imagine, just personally for, for things I've had to go through this year on a personal level, and I couldn't imagine having been in Toronto through a lot of what I've been going through and processing. So yeah. And I mean that in the sense of just like the environment and the energy and just like BC, like here in Vancouver, it is a slower pace and yeah. ocean is like 15 minute bike ride away for me. I can go swimming and like it's, yeah, the weather's been beautiful. There's like beautiful mountains here. Yeah. It's just, I feel really lucky to be here now. Yeah, there's definitely a different vibe of Toronto and BC, 100%. And also BC's your, like, that's where you grew up. Like, it's your home. So I'm happy that you're there. And I'm going to ask you lots of questions about growing up. So we'll start with that first. But I also want to make sure we give time to talk about your role in Lock and Key, the Netflix TV series that's been renewed for its second season, and also your journey as a holistic nutritionist, which I know a little bit about because I've had your recipes and they're delicious. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start. Like, I know what your mix is, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about, or at least I remember, tell me about your mix and who is who in your family. Yeah, my dad's Chinese uh, and his family's been in Canada for many years now. And he actually, he grew up in Vancouver. And then my mom is Portuguese and she moved here. She moved to Canada with her family when she was six, I believe. Was your dad born here? No. Yes. Yeah. His family's been in Canada for a little while. Cool. So that's a little bit different than, it's different than me. (laughs) Where it's like the, because your mom is from Portuguese and European, but she's actually, she was born outside of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. How did they meet? They met going to university. They they both went to UBC, actually. So yeah, they met and that was that. The rest is history. Then they had four babies and they Um, all look somewhat like variations of me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they're all beautiful, of course, (laughs) because you are beautiful. So what was it like growing up with your Portuguese side and your Chinese side and them coming together? Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because like, I don't know if you can relate to this, but growing up mix, I didn't really, it didn't, it was just, that was what was like normal within our family. So it like felt like it didn't feel like, it felt like its own unique thing. But then on the other side of that was that like outside of our family, outside of like leaving our home, it did feel, oh, we're different. And I grew up in a smaller city here in BC, Kamloops, and there wasn't a lot of people who looked like my family, like at all. So it was interesting in that, 
like my parents, I felt very equally exposed to both cultures growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's where it's just like, yeah, we were our own unique like <laughs> blend of things and of culture. But in experiencing both, it also it kind of created some kind of weird like tug of war, like divide as well. A feeling just like, oh, I don't really like, especially when we go to like family functions, it's like all of my cousins on my dad's side, so my Asian side, like we're all full Chinese. And then on my mom's side, I just have a few cousins, but they're Portuguese and whatever extended family on that side, you know, we'd be going to these gatherings and it was just like, we didn't fit in either, in terms of physical appearance, we didn't really fit in either. And I guess, again, just like our whole makeup, we didn't really feel like we belonged anywhere or I didn't feel like I belonged. And I think that's a really, it's a funny space to be in, which again, whenever I meet biracial or or mixed folks, it's like, like one of the first conversations we have is talking about that because we can all relate a little bit, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Definitely felt the same way around like not feeling like I belong, although I belonged because I was there and I grew up and I grew up and I was born here. But there was just always like that sort of looming, like, is someone going to find me out? Are they going to ask me like, why is my dad white? (laughs) Yeah. Or like a lot of people thinking my last name, which is Odes, it should it should be pronounced like Oedes or Oedes because they look at me and they're like, you're not totally white. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember this sounds so terrible, but it was the truth. And it was that some people thought my dad was like, when they would see him around town with us, I guess they thought for some point, if they didn't know who our family fully was, they thought that he was like an exchange or like an international student who like lived with us. I was like, no, that's, that's my dad. <laughs> and, and he was actually the parent who was born in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah, there was just a lot of weird stuff like that. And it is this feeling of like not belonging, really. And what did that feel like? I mean, if I can ask you sort of like kind of to delve a little bit deeper on like that belonging piece, because and I'm still figuring it out myself, but I know it's something that a lot of mixed people talk about. It's like, what did that like, how did that register in your nervous system, like not belonging? Like, how did that feel either emotionally or like when you walked into a room and you felt like maybe you didn't really belong or mentally? Yeah. I think it's interesting because a lot of this has come up. It's it's weird because I yeah, I feel like over the course of my life it's come up in little spurts here and there mm. just based on the experiences I've had where I was like made to feel that I don't belong, whether it was because of being biracial or for some other like unrelated reason. And otherwise I feel like so much of myself like I feel like I suppressed it a lot growing up as well, just like not dealing with that feeling of not belonging. But I guess it's interesting because it's, it's come up very recently with everything that's going on right now in terms of racism and Black Lives Matter and everything. And uh, me kind of looking at, again, my within the space of being mixed and being white, but also being Asian and this idea of like, I have white privilege, but I've also experienced racism and how that's like a weird internal, again, like a weird thing to experience internally. I'm just like, oh, but like people have been like outright racist towards me and I've experienced so much discrimination, but I also have white, like I, but I'm also, yeah, I have white privilege. So almost like at odds with myself. I believe I felt that growing up, but I just didn't know, like I didn't really, couldn't really understand or articulate it. And I remember at a very young age also, I guess, so it kind of ties into this idea of feeling like I don't belong in one group or the other, but I remember having this strong desire to want to be more white. Mm. So 
recognizing that my Asian-ness, in a sense, made me kind of feel like left out of certain circles or again, I was discriminated against or whatever it was. But also recognizing that like the fact that I was part white, like that got me stuff. Like that gave me opportunities. Yeah. So even though maybe I wasn't like fully conscious of it, no, there was a part of me, I think, yeah, always growing up that I was just like, I wanted to be, and I think we see this all over the place, but yeah, I wanted to identify as more white and to be quite honest, like rejected a lot of my Asian self, even though it, of course, it's like such a big part of who I am. And it's been like, I feel like it's only really been the past like five, six, seven years that I've really started leaning more into that and like, and owning that. Yeah. And that like, I'm uniquely mixed. So it's not one or the other. Yeah. Oh, it totally makes sense. And I just recently posted an article by a a mixed race Chinese author that was on the CBC. And he said a similar thing that growing up, he would see himself through the lens of whiteness. I believe his dad was also Chinese. And so he would think about like his dad being looking different because he didn't look like the dads playing baseball with kids on the commercials and wanting to have like a different nose or different eyes. And it's so interesting because like, I mean, I was a kid too. And you're talking about growing up. It's like these things are like put into our brains at such a young age. And then as we get older, we're starting to explore what that means to us and to like heal. I'll just say it's like healing, kind of coming full circle while all also, yeah. something I've really worked on is like not not playing like the pity party for myself. <laughs> like, okay, I've experienced, so I'm, I'm sure we've experienced similar things and many different, th- different things too growing up in terms of like racist microaggressions, things of that nature. But while I'm like healing those parts of me that were, you know, scarred or wounded um, because of white supremacy and like whiteness and other things like that, I also rec- have to recognize that I have all these opportunities and privileges because I was born here and B, I'm white. Like I'm, I'm also white. And I actually, co- I realized this just in the past several years that some people actually think I'm white, which is so interesting, which I was curious <laughs> But I know we're laughing, but it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. But like, that's great. There's nothing obviously wrong with that. But I think growing up feeling othered and and feeling like I didn't fully belong with like the rest of the kids at school, you're like, oh, it's perplexing. But anyway, back to what you were saying, it's like things that you're exploring now with regards to identity and race. What are some ways that you've been exploring that or resources that have helped you kind of connect with your mixedness, if you will? Yeah, honestly, it's just been a lot of self-reflection. And again, like you, like what you were saying too, about like not having this like self-pity because and really recognizing that I do have so much privilege as well as, yes, whatever. And, and not to diminish those, again, like you said, like microaggressions that I experienced or any of this stuff, but yes, to also step into the space of, wow, I also have all this privilege and... Like I think about it in terms of my work and how if I'm going out for a role that's specifically like if they want to cast Asian, mm-hmm. then I get it. And not to, I'm not going to call out like a specific project or production company or anything, but I just think that I have, depending on that, <laughs> that production, they may want to cast an ethnic person. And so that's why they're, and maybe again, the role is like saying, oh, we'd like diverse or ethnic actors, but there's like, they're still hesitant about having someone who again is fully Chinese or fully Asian or so they'll cast someone like they'll cast a mixed person because they can kind of pat themselves on the back. Like, oh, well, they're mixed. They've got some other ethnicity within them, but I can also pass as white. I am white. So it's in situations like that where, again, I have an upper hand to a friend of mine who, well, she's 
Vietnamese, you know, she's right. both parents, you know? So yeah, I guess for me, it's really just, I've been just exercising a lot of self-compassion for, again, like you said, like healing these wounds and working through that feeling of not belonging, I guess, and taking more ownership and really like reclaiming the fact that I am this, just again, this unique blend. And I, like I do identify as a person of color, but I, and I am Asian and I am Caucasian and like we can be more than one thing. I think that's the thing I'm also... <laughs> identifying more as it's just like we don't have to and we can change over time if one day I, I wake up and I'm just like oh, I, I don't identify as this anymore then that's okay too yeah um, thank you I love that there are so many ooh, so many golden nuggets we can be more than one thing <laughs> and, and our identities can change that's been a theme as well throughout the podcast in my conversations with other mixed people is that like throughout our lifetime how we identify changes and shifts and I think that's cool and that's for us to decide I've had a lot of I, I don't know if this is a, a term that's already been coined, but it's like, I just came to me one day during a book club meeting <laughs> with a Mixed Bloom Room on, um, you can follow uh, Sarah who runs Mixed Bloom Room on Instagram, does some really cool coaching and circles for mixed people and mixed parents. But it came, yeah, like the term came to me during one of our circles. I just was uh, identity policing. Finally, I let it out. Yeah, like, yeah. again, I don't know if this is the right term, but it was like how some people that I've encountered, it's like, I'll say that I'm Filipino, but they're like, no, but you're you're not really. <laughs> or like, I'll say that I'm, there's been time, I remember in high school, someone was like, I said I was Filipino or I said I was Asian. And someone said to me, you're not really Asian, you're Filipino. <laughs> I'm like, okay, now I'm like, I don't even know what to tell you. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. Like now people are, it was very, I felt like it was really easy for people growing up to just tell me what I was and tell me how to be. And so now I love what you said because it's like, well, you know, I decide, like I'm going to decide how I identify and how I decide to identify can be different. It can change because yeah, we're, yeah, we're not just one thing. <laughs> well, we're humans. But you know, I, I also identify as a, a person of color, a woman of color, but that's also been like, I've also been reflecting on that myself am I a woman of color all the time? <laughs> like, you know, is it? Yeah. Like, and sure. that's been something that I've been, it's an ongoing, it's ongoing journey. No definitive answers actually on how I identify. <laughs> now I'm like, and like, as I'm saying this, my, the hamster wheels like turning, you're like, oh wait, hold on. <laughs> what am I today? But I didn't even know, like I could identify as being mixed until I was in university, which is where you and I met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> and so I want to ask you a little bit more about like sort of your upbringing and also your name and something I remember now is we worked together at the Red Zone at York University and I remember when you dropped off your resume I was like ah like she's mixed Asian like me and then I I got your resume and I was like Genevieve Kang she must be mixed <laughs> And so good memories. And then we ended up working together. And so question for you, like the last name Kang, that's your dad's last name. Tell me like, what is it like to have an Asian last name? Very curious. Cause I've read some stuff about like from actors who are mixed, but they change their last name or they use their middle name, that kind of thing. Tell me. Yeah. I love this question because there's been multiple times I've approached my agent about changing my last name. <laughs> yeah. I've had a couple times in the past, or like, yeah, two to three times, I think, maybe three. 
in the past like decade that I've approached my agent about changing my last names. I thought, oh, you know, like maybe I've seen other Asian actresses do it. And then they claim that they booked like the next thing and that like blew up their career and that yeah. they, it was, it was changed their last name that did it because people could see them in a different way. And you know, if someone's seen my name as Genevieve King, they're instantly saying, oh, she's Asian. They'll like, you know, they form whatever opinions around that and however it fits into whatever they're casting or something and making the decisions. So yeah, it, it's crossed my mind many times. And thankfully, I have an amazing agent who has talked me out of it every time. I think the last time I brought it up too, she actually said to me, she's like, okay, you've just like, you've really gone crazy. Like you do not need to change your name in order to work and get opportunities. And then yeah, something did switch in me after she and I had that last conversation of where I was just like, yeah, no, she's, she's right. In fact, I'm going to make it, I'm going to prove that I can keep my last name and identify as Asian and white. Like I can be mix and then I can still make a career and I don't have to change. And not to say that I'm nothing against those other actors or actresses who have changed their names because they felt like it would help them. But yeah, it was definitely an insecurity of mine for many years and feeling like it was affecting me booking work. Maybe I just wasn't good at acting and that's what <laughs> That's not true. Great actress. Oh, thank you. But yeah, it was, again, going back to this idea of really leaning in and reclaiming who I am and whatever given day, it was reclaiming, that was a part of reclaiming who I am. It's like, no, this is who I am. And so I'm going to book work and build a career based on who I am. And that's keeping my name intact. Yeah. Beautiful. And as you should, Genevieve Kang, you're now like, you are well known now on the TV land. (laughs) Let's jump to that. So you are on the hit TV show, Lock and Key. It's a Netflix TV series. It is a supernatural horror drama. And it's just been renewed for its second season. And you play the character Jackie Veda. Veda, yeah. Veda, yes. Question for you. What is it like being on the show to start? (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, what is it like being on the show? And I noticed you have developed some close bonds with your co-stars just because I follow you on social media. So (laughs) I was wondering if you could speak. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The the whole thing, but particularly like the cast. I think that's, I've noticed that there's some cast love there. Yeah, Totally. Um, yeah, the experience with the show has been incredible. The whole team behind the camera and in front of the camera, everyone's so like genuinely wonderful. There's not a lot of complaints there, which is, I feel like can be quite rare and hard to come by, especially because our cast and everybody, like the crew, everything is so, like there's so many of us that there's not like, you know, a bad egg here or something, but no, everyone's super lovely. And yeah, our producers, like whole creative team behind the project, just super supportive and yeah, it's, I have nothing, nothing terrible to say about it. Cause it's just such a positive experience genuinely. And I'm really excited. Like again, because of COVID and everything, we were renewed back in the spring. And we, you know, if, if of course we weren't in a pandemic, we likely would have been filming this summer, but there's hopes that we will be going back very soon for filming again, pending certain precautions and all that stuff. Uh, but I really can't wait. Yeah. Everyone's super lovely. And we do have like, our cast is very like constantly having cast socials and yeah, everyone's just like super close. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Jen. And I'm so proud of you. I intended to talk about the show a little bit later in the interview, but I just felt like really called to just go into it because remembering when you applied to the red zone in like 2006, I know that you've been at like you've been acting for quite some time so this is an amazing role so congrats you deserve it and I have I've caught some episodes you're fantastic (laughs) I was like that's my friend (laughs) 
Um, and the show, it's, you know, again, it's become very popular. It's based on a comic series. And I was curious, was Jackie's character meant to be mixed? Or did you land it because you were the best actress for the job? Well, and bo- or both? <laughs> Yeah, I believe in the comic books, I don't think it's specified. I remember auditioning for the role and one of the first things I did was look up like the last name. I was like, Veda, like what is, yeah, is that a particular ethnicity? And I couldn't find a ton on it. So, you know, so then I just like kind of let that go, just approach the material how I would. And I believe also the breakdown for the audition, because there's always like a character description and often it'll be noted if they're, if the role they're casting is, if it's open ethnicity, so that could be anybody, if it's specific Caucasian, if, if it's specifically ethnic. And I believe there was a note saying, please submit like diverse options. So I think they wanted right. to include somebody who is ethnic. And yeah, I mean, I just, I went in there and just did my thing. (laughs) Blew them away. (laughs) Yes, yes, you did. Yeah, own it. That's so amazing. And I, 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 that's so cool because I'm, I'm not an, I, I am not an actress, so I don't know what it's like to like when you're looking up roles or when you're auditioning, like what information is provided about it. So you were saying you had looked up the last name Veda, was kind of curious to know about the background of the character. Is it important to you when you look when you've gone in for roles that the role is for a mixed person or for an ethnic person? Like, have you like how how much of that research have you done beforehand? Yeah, again, like, is that important for you to? be in roles that represent diversity. Definitely. But where, again, is, it's interesting, the position I'm in, I guess, as a mixed person is that, so certain things that will come across my desk are, they're specifically looking for an Asian mm-hmm. actor to play that role. And upon further, again, research and things, I can sometimes discern that, oh, this is the character in this story, almost like they, they need to be fully Asian. Like it's, right. if they don't cast someone who's fully Asian, it's kind of cheating. So I've actually, there's been a couple of roles that I've turned down more recently, just the, like the auditions for them. Cause like they've come again, they've come into my hands and I'm just like, this isn't, this isn't my story to tell where it's just like, I really hope they cast a full Asian person for this, not um, a mixed Asian person. Yeah. Because I just think for the telling of the story, like that's really important because of, and of course, yes, of course I'm, I'm like, I want to be represented too in my mixedness. But, but yeah, when there's, there's specific, it depends on the role, depends on the project. And yeah, often I can tell, like first when I, when even just the character name, you can tell almost like how Asian or how white something is. I've also, you know, things will come into my hands where it's like, I'm still getting auditions sometimes for characters that it's clear that they're like Hispanic or like they're an ethnicity that, again, I'm just like, I can go out for this, but it's not true representation. And it's a, it's just a sticky area because I remember like a decade ago, I could, I would audition for all these things and feel like I was just as entitled to get them. And also it was almost like emphasized within my industry that because I'm ethnically ambiguous in a sense, like I could technically, I could look like many different ethnicities, I suppose that, oh, wow, like you could play so many different roles. You you work so much, but I think that's shifted. And I think it's important that it's shifted. You know, I, at one point, a lot of people said like, especially when I'm like not wearing makeup and I'm, my skin's a little bit darker from the sun, I can play indigenous. I would not feel comfortable doing yeah. that. It's not a place. So, but going back to this idea of then being mixed, because there's not a lot of stories that emphasize like we need specifically (laughs) half Asian or like definitely not Chinese Portuguese mix you know so it's still a I again I don't really have a clear grasp of it it's 
like still evolving and growing. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like the industry has shifted in what they're looking for and having more representation, but also like your, the way that you approach casting has shifted as well as you've like evolved as a human being, right? Like I get the sense, I actually remember one of our conversations back at York University because I was, I was your like team leader at the Red Zone. (laughs) I was your boss. I know. I was like, just want to let everyone know all the fans of Lock and Key. I was Genevieve Kang's boss. At one point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I know uh, when you met, made said this comment, it wasn't about like like anything to do with ethnicity, but I remember you needed like an afternoon off to go to a casting and you had mentioned that in the industry, it's like not professional to turn down an audition, like if you get one. And like, it's like irregardless, I guess, of whether they're looking for someone who's either mixed, at, you know, Asian, ethnic, white. So I think that's interesting because as a, I'm just presuming that as an actress going for roles, it's like you you want to get out there and put your foot in the door, but also you have to take in, you're taking into account, will, am I going to be the right person to tell this story? And you have to kind yeah. of work on that yourself. And I think that's an important thing to say, <laughs> important thing to highlight as part of you being a mixed actress is that there's like kind of like an added, and you can let, correct me if you're wrong, wrong, but I'm kind of getting a sense that, you know, you're a mindful person <laughs> and, you know, being an actress in this industry and also being mixed year, you have like that added level of reflection reflection that you have to bring into whether you take on a role or you audition for it. Yeah. And I mean, I think it just, it also just comes down to though, like, again, you said it well when you, uh, what you said about just knowing whether or not you're the right person to tell that mm. story because yeah. telling a story like in playing a character, you're taking on a responsibility. That's like, I'm going to be the person to say these words and do these actions. And are they aligned with like, do I want to hold that responsibility? And like, again, one of the recent things that came across my desk was, I believe the character, yeah, she was supposed to be, it was like communist China. It was just like very specific. And I was just like, yeah, this is not my story to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just, and it like, it just hit me hard. I was like, I don't even, why are they even, it almost like made me upset. I'm like, I'm again, I'm, I have changed because me again, like a decade ago, probably was like, yeah, I'll audition for this. Yeah, Great. I'm Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I'm just, yeah, I'm in a space now where it, it's like, I have a responsibility to say no to certain things that just aren't aligned. Cause it's not going to feel good. Like it's not going to, when also, and we might get into this later in our conversation, I don't know, but like in terms of just being, cause I think of it in terms, of in terms of BLM and amplifying and supporting like the black community say this is no different in the sense of I'm making like I don't want to take away opportunities from people who I think are better suited just because it's going to give me a job and a paycheck which are very important things to me but I think again it just kind of gets to the root of just like yeah but who am I like taking that away from who again ultimately could be the better represent like person to better represent that and yeah I just think it's really important that we ask ourselves those questions of yeah and 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 know that we might have to make sacrifices in the process yeah well acknowledging you for doing that (laughs) having that self-reflection because I can imagine that you know taking on a role that maybe isn't represent like you don't necessarily feel you're not the right person to to play that story like that could also be met with I want to say criticism, like in the media, like I, I'm just, it's something that's, and I'm not just talking about like you in particular, Genevieve, but like just in general, like actors and, and also famous actors. Like, I'm just thinking, do you know what, oh my gosh, what is her name? 
She plays. She was in Aloha. Oh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe. I, I, I was like, I'm going to bring this up, and I forgot her name. Well, she's a white person, a white actress who played yeah. a like a Polynesian or Asian person in Aloha. I did not see the film, but I know that that like that got all kinds of criticism. Yeah, and, and then also just also say like I think Henry Golding, who played the lead in Crazy Rich Asians, he's mixed, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he's amazing in the role. And there was also criticism that he was not Asian enough. Yes. At the end of the day, we're not going to please everybody. But yeah. yeah, I think these are like along that those lines of what you're saying. It is, yeah, there's, I mean, yes, there's always going to be criticism from somebody, but also in Emma Stone's case, there's been a couple of actresses who voiced like cartoon or animated characters, I believe have come out and, and they're Caucasian actresses. And so they, and I believe they were voicing black or mixed black characters, I think. And so they, and they've stepped down from those positions. Cause it's like, yeah, with, you know, it's not right that I should actually, like this should be going to a black person or a mixed black person. They should be voicing these characters, not me as a white person. So I think it's just, yeah, we're, I mean, we're just shining a light on all these things. Yeah. It's just things to consider, more things to consider, I guess. Absolutely. Oh, have another question about acting and then we'll kind of switch gears yeah. into your social media presence and all of the wonderful things that, that have been happening on social media. It, it's like, have you ever played a mixed character? Like that was specific uh, for... Yeah, a show I did, we did two seasons, a show called Impulse. Oh, it's yeah. an incredible show that everyone should watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my character was, yeah, I went, she was mixed. So she was, and I was actually a recast. So then the pilot was another actress who played my role. And then once the show got picked up for the first season, I think it was like a year later that they spent that, was, yeah, it was like a year later after the pilot. And that actress had gone on to do other work. So we had to recast it. And Patty, her name is Patty Yang. And uh-huh. they had to, I guess they tried best to match casting a new actress myself to look like the actress from the pilot. I think that would be, yeah, that's probably the one time that that's happened. And then otherwise, I did do a, I am I am a part of like a, a series of Hallmark films that it's not like emphasized in the films that like, oh, this character is half Asian, but I'm there. And then, and I think it was the third film that we did, no, the second film that we did. They brought in, a, one of the characters was, I think my cousin or something. And he was mixed Asian. So it was like very much that. I was like, oh, okay, so they had their like cousins. <laughs> but I've never played it where, played a character where it's like very much emphasized that and like overtly. I know in first season of Lock and Key, these scenes ended up being cut from an episode, but there was an episode where my character's parents were supposed to be there. I was like super curious. I'm like, oh, who are they going to cast as my parents? And but then they ended up cutting those scenes. So they didn't end up casting anybody. But yeah. When you played that character in Impulse, like, was there, like, parts of your mixedness, like, incorporated into the role? Like, did they talk about, like, was there lines where you're like, or like have a moment or a scene with your parents? Like, like being mixed actually get into the role more than just, like, the character was, like, mixed. And that was just something that is known to the cast. Not really. She, and she was a supporting character so it wasn't like about her she wasn't like the main story anyways but yeah not really the only only thing I can think of was in the pilot episode they show Patty has a tattoo on like her torso and it's some like Chinese characters or something which could be anybody that's so interesting so I'm I'm putting it out in the universe well yeah for you hopefully this is something you want Hollywood TV land film and television industry your mixed Asian and Portuguese leading lady is right here on the podcast. Her name's Genevieve. (laughs) Hire her. She's amazing. (laughs) 
I would love, I would love, I would just love that for you because you're amazing. But also I think if I can just share, you know, as a mixed woman and also I was once a mixed child growing up and not seeing representation, like I would just be so happy. I'd probably cry. I mean, I was so happy to see that you are living your dreams again because you're living your dreams and I know you've wanted this forever. But yeah, because we need, we need representation. And I think I love that you're, you've shared like, you know, making sacrifices so that people are playing roles that you feel like really share the story. But also I feel like there's like, you know, there's mixed people. <laughs> we have, we have a story to share too, right? So fingers crossed that it's coming, whether it's you or someone else, but hopefully it's you, but like, we'll have our day. <laughs> we'll have our day. Okay, that was like a long tangent I went on there, but thank you for coming to my monologue. <laughs> One day, mixed people will be represented in Hollywood more than they are now. Switching gears. So I have seen your meteoric rise on social media and I know that you are very humble, but I was just like, you now have 25,000 followers on Instagram. Go you. I remember when you had less than that. <laughs> back to where, back to my follower count <laughs> when you were down with us you know, regular folks, but in large part due to the show and, and also because of the great content that you've put out. I, I love reading your writing. Lately, you've been quite active throughout the Black Lives Matter movement on social media, like sharing resources, links, and something that I really appreciated about your posts recently that you were uh, elevating Black women on your platform, uh, women that you admire, either you've been involved with their work or followed their message. And I, I think it was really amazing. I'm curious to know, you know, more about that. Just some some people. I know you shared uh, the work of uh, Saida. Or Saida. Oh my gosh, I forgot how to pronounce it. Saida. So I worked with her. I haven't seen her in a while, but I worked with her on a workshop. She's an amazing um, holistic nutritionist. Uh, Hannah Brothman, Erica Chidi, Haley Thomas, just to name a few. What was your motivation behind doing that? Honestly, it started off because I shared a video. So Sophia Rowe, who's the first woman that mm -hmm. I shared her work, I've been following her for years. She's incredible. And she's a chef. She's very active within like the wellness space, social justice space. And she has been sharing like regular IG TV videos or whatever they're called, just being very vocal about BLM and everything that's going on. And she always has been very vocal in terms of like food insecurity and, and she's very passionate about that. And I'd share just a, one of her videos, gosh, it feels like so long ago now, I guess a few months ago, a couple months ago in my story. And so many people were messaging me and it's like, who is this woman? She's amazing. I was like, um, yeah, she is amazing. You should like listen, like listen to all her videos, all she has to engage with her work. She's so cool. Like I have for sure have a girl crush on her and I have a friend who has met her and I'm so jealous. Um, but yeah, so then I, that kind of prompted my first post is that I had so many people reaching out just like, who is this person? So then I just shared, started, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to share this. This is who it is. Guys, check out her work. She's incredible. And then it was interesting because so many people were reaching out, asking about her. It just kind of snowballed into these other conversations about women of color in the wellness space specifically, because with my background in holistic nutrition, I remember coming out of nutrition school and doing my research and how I was de developing my business and a lot of what I was coming across. And I take also responsibility for like maybe just what I had been choosing to engage with and what I was exposing myself to. But I felt like I was mostly seeing white women in like Lululemon sets and <laughs> perfectly manicured nails and like a green smoothie. Like that was 
like everywhere. And I wasn't like, it was just, and so again, going back to that feeling of like not belonging, I was just like, how do I express myself in this space? Where do I fit? Why isn't there anybody in this space who looks like me? And um, Saida, who yes, you know, she, she and I met in nutrition school. And that was part of our conversation too, I think in, in both developing our businesses is we kind of felt a little bit alienated because they're just, the representation in the wellness space felt like just super white centric and there wasn't a lot of diversity or inclusion. And so yeah, it kind of snowballed into these conversations. And then I started thinking, I was like, I do know some people though in that this space who yeah. are women of color, black women, and they're incredible. And so that kind of, so then I, I just kind of used, I don't know, my, my social media as a space to just highlight a handful of the women who I have been, whose work I've, I'm very familiar with and know, or have just been getting to know and really, really excited about. And then within like everything that had been going on in terms of Black Lives Matters, I was also coming across again, new people in that space who I was just like, wow, I'm like, I don't know who this is, but it's, they look like they're doing really cool stuff. And I want to engage more with the content that they're putting out and the things that they're sharing. So it was me sharing who I already know. And then also learning about other people who I don't know. So yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. I loved reading them and it definitely came from, I think you, you do everything Genevieve from the heart, but I could tell it came from the heart when I was reading your posts and stuff. Like when you started following these people and what you admired about them and how they influenced you. And I think that's really great. And and also the wellness space, that's something that Michaela, who's the producer of the podcast, (laughs) my, my guiding light through this podcast journey, an upcoming episode for our Patreon is actually going to be talking about black women in the wellness space, particularly in yoga, because it's also like a very white centric industry. Interestingly, though, yoga like stems from overseas and India and other parts of Asia. So yeah, I think it's so important. And and, and I'm, again, I enjoyed reading your posts and I was curious, I, I know you're elevating people that you appreciated and kind of came naturally from what you just said. Was there anything that you hope your 25,000 followers <laughs> would take notice or would take action on as a result? Of, of any of the things you posted, not just the ones around the women, but just curious if there was anything around that that you were hoping for. Yeah, I, I definitely, it's interesting because I remember, I remember the day that Lock and Key came out. That's when my following just like, yeah skyrocketed to where it is now, I guess. And it was really exciting for me because I saw, I was like, oh my gosh, people, not that people can't listen, like can't listen to you if you've got five followers, but it really made me feel that I had this bigger platform to affect more people and use my voice and speak up on things. Again, I was doing this before, but to really, again, just Mm -hmm. speak up on things that I'm really passionate about and maybe impart some change in that way. So yeah, when I'm sharing anything in regards to social justice and or nutrition, or uh, I'm also because I'm also really passionate about climate change and sustainable living and low impact living. It's really and I don't I'm also not somebody who likes to really push it on people. I more like to just <laughs> present it or set an example myself. I also like that's something I'm really that's really important to me is I'm never going to engage with something that I can't get behind fully. So brands, you can stop like approaching me to sell your stuff. That's really crappy because I'm not going to sell it. 
Um, I'll just tell you that I get a lot of, I get a lot of DMS being just like promote our stuff and we'll give you this much money. And like no amount of money can make me get behind a cause or uh, a service or a product that I just don't believe in. So, so yeah, for me, it's really just like using my voice and encouraging or presenting to people how they can participate in that call to action or do something or, or even just if it's, if it's so little as sharing or having a conversation with somebody in real life or whatever it is, just like spreading the word. Yeah. And, and if I've, if I've impacted one person out of that 25,000, like that's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just using your platform for the positive and yeah. you, do, you do have a voice. And again, you know, I think it's important to be using it. <laughs> and speaking of like in terms of Black Lives Matter movement and allyship, what does being an ally to the Black community mean to you or look like to you or being just an ally, you know, I guess like being anti-racist. Just curious if you could speak on that and I can kind of share from my experience too, if you like. Yeah, I think it's a lot of different little snippets right now. Like I'm still very much navigating the early days of this, right? Like it's an ongoing process. It's one of the big pieces for me has really been looking at all the ways in which I've participated and subscribed to white supremacy and the undoing of that, like needing to really, again, take responsibility and hold myself accountable for my participation and subscription to that. And then making, and then kind of building upon once that's been (laughs) dismantled for myself within myself, which it's again, this is like a lifelong process, right? I, I look at, I very much look at this whole thing as, it's adopting a new lifestyle. So, you know, similar to in like holistic wellness, it's like eating well, drinking enough water, getting enough hours of sleep, whatever, like these things you implement as part of your lifestyle to be well and be healthy. Allyship or, or supporting the black community, amplifying black voices, all these things, it, it's, a, it's a lifestyle change. So, and, and, and lifestyle change doesn't just happen overnight. It's ongoing. So there's that aspect again of me really like internally, where have I, like what's the role I've played and working to change and evolve that. I also go back to this idea of within my work of I think an action piece that I have been taking and can continue to take is again, like not like be willing to sacrifice opportunities that could go to somebody within whether it's the black community or again, any other person of color. And I think I would extend that to also include, it also means not supporting narratives that are uh, exploitative, like that, that are discriminatory or stereotypical or that where the production, you know, they cast people of color, but it's all tokenism or something. It's really important then. So if something again is coming into my ether and it's just like, oh, but like, did you see what they, this actually happened a couple months ago. I auditioned for a project here in Vancouver and it was for their second season. And as part of my research and preparation for my audition, I wanted to watch the final, like the finale episode of the first season. So I watched the finale episode and without, I don't need to give specific details, but ultimately the the storyline of that episode was very much shining a light on like stereo, like just all these stereotypes of black men. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm watching this and I'm infuriated watching it. I can't imagine being a black person watching this. And it really made me, again, in that moment, be just like, I can't, I, I did choose to audition for the project, but I thought my, my intent going into it was, okay, if I end up booking this, there's going to be a discussion where 
I won't do the job unless there's like, they need to look at kind of that narrative that they were putting forth in that first season or whatever. And that needs to shift for the second season. Like, I'm not going to partake in something that's telling that story. Mm. And it's a funny thing because I'm not, I'm not a superstar. I don't have a lot of power in the industry. So for me to be just like, I'm not going to do that job because you guys are racist. Well, that production would likely just be like, okay, well, you're not really anybody anyway. So we'll just cast the next person. So that's a little bit of hard pill to swallow, especially because I'm still, of course I want to work and, you know, but I think again, when it comes down to like my core human like values, I just, that's where something in me has really switched. I'm just like, yeah, but like, I got to stay true to myself in that way because otherwise I'm just like selling out and I'm just, and I'm, I again, continuing to feed the machine that is white supremacy, if that makes sense. That's a big thing that I'm, I think I'm looking at in terms of where I can make a difference in my work. It's mm. questioning. It's like, who is on our, who's in our crew? Like there's a lot of, there's not a lot of, sorry, there's not a lot of maybe people of color in our crew, like working behind the scenes. Who's in our cast? Do we have enough inclusion? What's like all that stuff. So it's demanding more, which again, someone like myself, like I'm not Jennifer Aniston. I don't have like <laughs> this pull. I'm not anybody. So it, in, in that way, so it can be hard and it can kind of also be scary to like speak up and say something because it might not feel like it's doing anything, but I think we got to start somewhere. Beautiful. Yeah. And it, I mean, it all starts with conversations and making choices and standing firm and in our beliefs, I could probably say like adopting new beliefs. And like you said, like dismantling what we were taught and learned and beliefs that we've been holding for for many years. And I've spoken on the podcast like about some of the things that I've been doing, but also like having conversations with other mixed people around racism, like asking how asking myself how I can be a better ally and support the Black Lives Matter movement either through elevating mixed black folks on the podcast or in some of my posts as well. And unlearning a lot of things. Like I've, I've mentioned I was I have been reading Me and White Supremacy book by Layla Afsad. <laughs> yeah. Have you read it? Yeah, I did. So I'm also part of, yeah, my sister-in-law started a, a Zoom anti-racism group. So we worked our way through that book together and then like a group of us women and we're continuing on. I think we're reading next How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like an educational component. And, and again, where we've created like a safe space and circle for us to, there's like, I feel like there's like seven or eight of us women throughout Canada and in the United States. We all hop on Zoom and have these meetings every couple of weeks. So yeah. That's awesome. And it, it, I was also saying like having these conversations with your family as well. Yeah. Yeah. Family is a tricky one, I find. Yeah. I, you know what? I'll share this with you, my dear friend. I never, we never talked about race growing up, like our home. I don't, how about you? Any conversations? Not that I, like, not really, not that I remember. Like, yeah. You know, and as an adult, I have a lot of forgiveness and compassion for my parents. I love my parents. They're amazing. And I, you know, they likely didn't have the language and lexicon to, to have these conversations. Um, but my, my parents have seen the film, What Are You?, uh, which is the documentary that I'm, I'm in. I know you, you saw it too as well. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I just, I, I got bold and I, I spoke to my dad recently um, on Father's Day and I was telling him about some of my experiences growing up and what it was like feeling like I didn't belong. And, you know, particularly like one of the key moments when I was in kindergarten, I was like the very first day of kindergarten, I was like circled and ambushed by other kids in the class and they all were yelling racist taunts to me. 
Yeah. Long story short, I ended up getting in trouble. Yeah. And so I remember, yeah, I know it's a little bit of a pain point for me for a while, but I was like, I think now I was like processing like how that affected me. And again, you know, there are worse things in the world that can happen, but I realized I never, I didn't talk about that with my parents. I don't remember having a conversation around um, what that was like for me or having anybody like stand up for me. And I told my dad about that recently. And I asked him like, you know, why didn't you guys talk to us about race? And my dad was like, you know, when I looked at you guys and then I looked at you, I only saw you as like my, my child. I didn't see you as anything different than me. And yeah. yeah and he, then he was like, I'm really sorry that we Aww. didn't, I know, I know. And I, when he told me that I was like, when he apologized, I did not cry. I was like, thanks dad. But then now when I talk about it, I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I needed that. Yeah. So having these conversations with our family can be hard, but they can also be really healing. Yeah. That's, that's a similar, I've had to have, I, I've tried to have a couple of conversations or not even, it's just things have gone into the direction of having conversations about race with my mom. And that's very much, that's very much her, similar to your dad. That's kind of been her perspective as well. And she's Caucasian like your father in, in that she's just like, and actually interesting too, because she's like, I just saw you as my kids, but also there was a part of me that our family was different and, and her wanting to protect that, but like almost like not knowing how, like yeah. protect us because we were part Asian from getting picked on and on, but like also just like not knowing how. Yeah. How could also people be so malicious? Like you're just my child. Like I see you, like I love you for who you are. So yeah. Yeah. I, I want to highlight, thank you for sharing. We're, you know, solidarity team. Also want to highlight having conversations about race, being a mixed race person with your family is different than having conversations with your family about anti-Black racism, which I want to highlight. There is <laughs> those, that's, yeah. those are, those are different <laughs> conversations. <laughs> which I, I can really just speak from my own experience. I did on the same weekend, Father's Day weekend that I, my dad apologized for not having spoken to us about race. We did talk about the BLM and why I felt it was important. And, you know, he agreed with me on a lot of those things, which was good because I think also growing up in a small, like white town, I wouldn't say like my parents are racist, but I think like I definitely heard them say racist things. Sorry, mom and dad. I mean, like, like you, I, you just like, that was almost <laughs> like, a yeah, like, please don't come after my parents. <laughs> like things in passing or like kind of repeating yeah. certain jokes. And I'm like, you know what? That's not okay. And I definitely don't yeah. hear that from them now. But if I did, I would be like, hi, we need to have yeah. a conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Deep breaths. Yeah. Well, I'm. thank you for sharing so much of your journey and yourself. And I'm curious, a few other kind of final things is like, what are you like up to now? I, I did want to ask, like, I know that you're an ambassador for One Movement. I was wondering if you'd like to share about that awesome cause about for the environment. What's that all about? Yeah. So uh, One Movement was started by, or founded by my friend Patrice, who is one of my castmates from Lock and Keys. Oh, cool. So incredible. Also very passionate about sustainability and low impact living. That's kind of like the number one thing he and I jammed on during first season. We just talked about that a lot. And so what it is, is we haven't, we're officially launching very soon. And I don't know how much I can actually reveal because I don't want to leak anything that I'm not supposed to. But ultimately, the our intent is to help remove plastic from the oceans and ocean-bound waterways. We're partnered with Plastics for Change, which is an organization, and they do a lot of work actually in India, where there's people on the ground there working to, you know, there's a lot of water pollution there and on the beaches and just 
everywhere. Um, I spent two months in India a few years ago. So there's a lot of a lot of pollution there um, in terms of plastic and, and garbage everywhere kind of thing. And so they have people on the ground there who are helping to clean up their, their environment, but also some of the, the work and we're doing in partnership is helping to provide a proper living conditions for these people who are or were doing such great things over there, like local Indian communities who are doing such great things to, to clean up the ocean and, and help. And yeah, I can't, I, it's hard for me. We're launching, I think, I believe we're officially launching our website on August 14th. So I think that's Ooh. Friday. So I, Patrice hasn't really revealed exactly what's going to, like what that entails. But right now, if you do go to our, we're kind of just like getting a lot of people to follow our page and everything like our Instagram page so that they can be plugged in for when we do officially launch, because ultimately we are going to be putting out some like educational components, which are going to be really valuable, I think for a lot of people and how they can do things in their everyday to help with climate change and, and being nice to our, our mother earth. And also some things kind of surrounding a product line. So, and again, how people can partake in that and how it's going to benefit others in communities in need, really. So it's kind of just, it's a very full circle kind of thing, um, closed loop production that um, is gonna, yeah, ultimately it's like, we want you to come over and join us so that we can show you how to help yourself, but also help others. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, everybody follow One Movement at my one movement and one is in like O-N-E, the word one. (laughs) Um, It sounds awesome. I have followed. I look forward to the launch. And then you can, people can also follow you at Genevieve KNG on Instagram. And then also your nutrition page is Keegan Boulevard. Mm. K-A-N-B-L-V-D. Are there any like kind of news or updates on your holistic nutrition life? Nothing specific. During this time, this year has provided a lot of open space for me to kind of mull over certain ideas and and maybe what I'd, I'd like to do with that with my business because it is like it's on pause in essence. But yeah, I feel like I need some more time to kind of cook up some ideas and it will be very much rooted. All I can say at this point is that if and when I do something, it'll be very much rooted in the same, like the, the philosophy that I have within wellness, which is that we can heal ourselves, essentially. We just need to understand and have a greater sense of self-awareness in order to do so. So it's definitely going to be rooted in that still. But yeah, I don't really, don't really know yet because I'm still obviously going to be very busy with acting. And so it's kind of like trying to juggle everything. But yeah, keep your eyes peeled. Keep your eyes peeled. I, again, um, <laughs> I still... Cook, like I still make the frittata recipe that I got from you and you were my nutrition. So um, yeah. I love it. So yeah, stay tuned. Your work is awesome. Everything you put out too is super aesthetically pleasing. I just want to say as well. <laughs> and yeah, always bringing and weaving in that aspect of sustainability and green living and health is something that I really admire about you. Thanks. Yeah. My last question that I ask everybody is, is going to be even Knowing what you know now, what would you say to your younger self? Uh, I said this in a recent, uh, like an interview a little while ago, and I actually reposted it to Instagram recently, but it was, and I and when I reposted it, it was like advice to my younger self, but also advice to myself right now is to avoid staying small for the insecurity of others. Mm. Yeah. Take up space. <laughs> yeah. Take up space. Use your voice. 
like speak up yeah. and share the things that you love yeah. because yeah. people need it. Yeah. People and need also get out, of, get out of your way and just do the dang thing. That would be another piece of advice. Just like it's yourself keeping you from doing things. So yeah. yeah. Well, it's been so awesome talking to you and seeing you over the years, take up space, do the damn thing, <laughs> your dreams. You can catch Genevieve on Lock and Key, Netflix drama. You can watch the first season on Netflix, catch up. <laughs> Yay. Follow Genevieve on Instagram. And yeah, it's been amazing connecting with you. Hearts, love you so much. And hopefully you can join us again sometime. Yeah, love you too. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mix in the Six podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you do, do not forget to subscribe, comment, and share the love to keep bringing more stories, insights, and cool perspectives from the mixed community. And if you or someone you know is a fellow mixie and want to share your unique story and are up to awesome stuff, we want to hear from you for a potential feature. Look below in the show notes for more info. Much love to you and see you soon. Yeah.